comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Are you dead? Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games, the Bedrock blog, and I'm here with Jeremy Bai for another episode of the Righteous Blood podcast. Today we're going to be talking about two movies, Lady Hermit and The Web of Death. The Web of Death is a 1976 film directed by Cho Yuen, and Lady Hermit is a 19, was it 1971? Yeah, 1971 film directed by Ho Meng Hua and starring Cheng Pei Pei. And they're both movies that I really like and recommend for very different reasons and just through coincidence and accident we ended up deciding to do these two so they're not necessarily linked thematically though there's a couple of actors that thread these two movies together um and we're going to format this episode a little bit differently as well we're going to go from one movie to the next rather than back and forth like we tend to so we're going to start talking about lady hermit and this is probably one of the best Cheng Pei Pei movies out there. This this one's really good. It's got some iconic scenes in it. And it's about this swordswoman called Lady Hermit who has an enemy. Called, and again, Jeremy's going to add another layer of information when, when he weighs in. But uh, he's a black claw demon is the name of the guy. And he's kind of like a ruthless, uh, you know, brigand in the martial world she has a battle with him and she's wounded and she goes into hiding and then a younger swordswoman uh named Choi ping seeks her out to become her student and starts training with her against the you know a series of events that happen that uh are that involve black claw demon going after the people that lady hermit was staying with that require her to go out and get revenge. There's a love triangle, and it ultimately leads to Lady Hermit and Chui Ping and the low Lie character Lu Shen taking on Black Claw Demon in a big final showdown. And and my my summary does not do the movie justice, but maybe maybe uh, Jeremy can weigh in and and give his thoughts on the film. Well, yeah, I agree. It's like I really like this one. Uh, to to be honest, I previously considered. Uh, come drink with me like my really one of my favorites and i think this kind of surpasses that so i actually was introduced to her to chum pepe from crouching tiger hidden dragons since that's the movie that brought me into the genre initially and she you know obviously much older and a completely different role than the heroic um, lead role but you uh, can tell it's her right away right like when you see yeah. if you've seen crouching tiger and you haven't seen her movies, the moment you see her in a movie, you're going to have this nagging sense of who is that? Because I've seen that person before. Yeah. And, yeah. And she is, you know, really attractive as a young woman. And in this one, she's a little bit older, obviously, than in Come Drink With Me. I think this is, Come Drink With Me was 62 or three or no, something like that. It was like 66 or 67, I 16, think. Okay. So, so she's like five, five years older or something like that. A little bit older and a little bit more mature. And yeah, I just really liked it. It has everything that I personally like about uh, wusha movies uh i do like the strong female lead wusha movies and she's like i don't know is there anyone who does a better job at being the the female lead of a movie than her do you think i mean i think there's a lot of really great female leads like um kara hoy is really great and bridget lynn is really great there's a lot of but i also feel like there's nobody really quite gets the the 
she has like the presence, the beauty, and she also has the the physical power. You know what I mean? There's something there's something imposing about her that you don't see with a lot of other actors. Like Bridget Lynn has that that uh, that presence, but it does it. She doesn't she doesn't seem like solidly built the way Cheng Pei Pei is. Like Cheng Pei Pei, I feel like if she punched me, I would feel it. Do you know what I mean? That's <laughs> she just like if you look at her hands when she like her hands look strong. Do you know what I mean? It just and and she has like an athletic physique. So I think it just she just has a, a, a I don't know she she she's she's operating at a level that I think few leading women in wuxia do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There there are definitely people that are are good and you know potentially at that same level. Like like Michelle Yeoh's you know up at that level too. But like, sure. but I, 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 I don't know. I, th- I think that she has this elusive star power that, do you know what I mean? Like you just, you see yeah. her in a role and you're like, that is, I believe her in this role and nobody else yeah. could play that character kind of a thing. Um, Plus in this one, there was a big sort of contrast because uh, when you first meet her, she's undercover basically. And she's trying to pretending to be kind of like just this person who doesn't know martial arts and kind of. I don't want to say ditzy, but like very friendly and stuff. And so to see her like have this really like sort of radiant smile and kind of acting like you would expect kind of a servant girl or something to act. And then there's this one moment where uh, her actual name gets mentioned. And then like in the blink of an eye, her her expression changes. And all of a sudden it's like super intense. And yeah. like, whoa, it really jumps up. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, I, I don't want to harp on the language aspects, which I've, I've not been doing much in these um podcast but yeah you mentioned the name so in chinese the name of the movie is actually zhong kui nyangzi and she is zhong kui nyangzi zhong kui is a a mythological chinese figure who was a demon hunter and so she's like if i was going to translate it i might have translated it as lady demon hunter or something okay. it's it's i think it sounds really cool the nyangzi just basically means a, a woman and then the bad guy was it has an even more complicated and difficult name he was the Hei Jingang, and Hei is black. But Jingang is not demon. Jingang is, I mean, it's it's really hard to translate. It, it's uh, It could be um, the warrior attendant of Buddha. It could be the Vajra from Buddha. Um, but that said, it's just a, it's basically a very powerful sounding set of characters. It can mean diamond. Uh, it's the word that is tra- often translated as King Kong. And uh, it's an element of Wolverine's name from X-Men when it gets translated into Chinese. So it's a really utilitarian name uh, and sounds really cool in Chinese. So anyway, I think the the original Chinese in that regard was a little bit cooler, especially in regards to her name. Uh, but anyway, it, it didn't really have anything to do with the plot. So I don't think there's any real reason to go into too well, much. Well, actually, it did because wasn't, wasn't the temple, wasn't that the name of the temple that they were? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, in Chinese, it, it totally makes sense. Um this is one that I uh, ha- I was able to watch in I think the on Amazon, which is where I've been watching all of these. It's in it's in Chinese, uh, it, although I didn't have Chinese subtitles, which I like it when it does. Uh, I did watch it in Chinese and English, and I I do think it sounds better in Chinese. So that part kind of jumps jumped out to me, and I was thinking, wow, if you didn't know that, you probably wouldn't make that connection. And and that was an important plot element that I left out. One of the things that they're doing so they're trying to lure her out of hiding like basically black cloud demon wants to finish her and she's in hiding so he's trying to get her out 
And one way he does this is he he sets up this this temple that is selling talismans, paper talismans to people that they have to pin on their doors. And if they don't, they get murdered. So it's it, it kind of reminded me of Passover. It was like a really grim version of the Passover holiday <laughs> where, you know, like so. So but if they don't. So basically just these innocent people that don't, you know, either don't have the money for the talisman or just think it's, you know, uh, a scam. They end up getting killed in the middle of the night. And and it's being done in her name. So that that's why it's uh, um you know it, it sort of is being used as a motivation to 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 lure her out but what ends up happening is black Hawk demon goes in and kills all the people from the what was it da'an escort company that she was hiding with was that the i name? can't remember the name but there was an escort company and, she, and and they all get murdered and they do a really good job of building up that this escort company is made up of good people that have family at the residence and you just get a you get a horrible feeling when they all get slaughtered and and then she has to go and get her revenge and one of the big scenes in the film is when lady hermit shows up at the uh, when the bad guys are celebrating after wiping out the the security company and 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 slaughters them and it's a it's a really impactful and 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 one of these scenes that if you see it you'll you'll say oh wait a second that scene has been used by other movies since so um you know but getting into to your response to the movie this was your first time watching it or had you seen it before no it was my first time i actually somebody on uh on youtube one of my youtube videos commented that he was watching it and he had a question from it and i was thinking oh i've never i've never actually watched it so in order to answer his question i i just i jumped into the movie to look at, at the scene that was in question and then i was thinking man i should really watch this and that night i just started watching it and i think i finished it all in one night it was, i usually don't have time to watch movies because i got a four-year-old and i have to do bedtime duties and whatnot but this one i managed to work it in and yeah i just i it's now in my my one of my top favorites for sure yeah this this one's great what was the question by the way well he he was asking about um the in fact maybe you would be able to weigh in on this uh he was asking about the headgear that was worn by the bad guys when they were at that temple. Mm-hmm. He basically was asking what he, he was like, are who who were they pretending to be? And it was I mean, it was pretty obvious from the context they were pretending to be Taoists. Um, yeah. You know, they were they were writing Taoist talismans and it was a Taoist temple and all that. So that much was obvious in terms of their little they have they were like a little headband. Yeah. Some yeah. Which I've seen in a lot of movies, though, that kind yeah, of Yeah. So my answer to him was, I, as far as I know, I don't think that's anything specific. And my guess was that it was just a, a costume that they had at Shaw Brothers Studios. And when they were putting together the costumes, like, hey, let's have these guys wear that. Because as far as I know, I don't think it's anything specific in terms of having any kind I- of meaning. I don't know, but there's a YouTuber who does costuming questions. I think she mostly handles Song Dynasty, but it might be uh, it might be something worth p- posting to her channel and seeing. Sure, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, I'll, we, we can we can talk about that after. But um, I think uh, yeah, this movie. I, I went on a really big Cheng Pei Pei binge where I was just trying to watch every one of her movies, and this was you know one of the ones early on that really stuck out as. A, you know just one of the better ones in her catalog and i think you know obviously like you said come drink with me is another i like the jade raksha too even though that one's really hard to find and that's another homang hua film but this one's good because number one it's got all these great moments in it but it also has like a really good story and uh it you know and it and it and it, and, it, and a love triangle that works and a bad guy that 
just visually is great. You know, I, I, I like he, he doesn't really show up that much, but he, but he's one of these characters that the costume and the actors sort of expressions kind of convey all that you really need for him. Yeah, um, you know, this is kind of funny you bring that up because this is sort of a contrast. If you remember when we were talking about one-armed swordsman how the main bad guy was kind of a letdown in that one yeah. this was kind of the opposite like they talk him up a lot a yeah. lot throughout the whole movie and then when you finally kind of encounter him he kind of lives up to the hype i think yeah well i think part i mean the actor they got is good uh and i don't know if i'm pronouncing it correctly but i think his name is uh wang Xia, and he's also in the other movie that we're gonna do but uh but he just has one of those he's kind of got a robust build and he's he he reminds me a little bit of Elvis Choi, the guy who um, he he's played. Uh, he plays a lot of bad guys in the drama series, but he's also been in a lot of you know like a lot of big movies too. But like he'll often play like like characters like Oo Young Fung and people like that. So he just he reminds me of, you know uh, he just seems like an actor who's really well suited to playing villains. But um, but yeah, so he, he's definitely not a letdown. Um, so getting into some of the topics we wanted to cover for this one, unless there's anything that you wanted to cover from the plot that we haven't. No, I, th- about. no I think we don't want to get too, too much into spoilers, I guess. Well, I don't, I mean, if people are listening to this, I think we, we really got to just, you know, well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Good point. No, I, I mean, no, I don't think I have anything more to say about the plot other than I, uh, I, and I think this might touch on some of the things we're going to, we're going to get into in the rest of the discussion, but I think it, it hits a lot of the like story beats that you expect to see in Usha movies. And at, at this early stage in, you know, Usha cinema, I think that it wouldn't count as being a cliche, but it later would become a cliche, some of, some of which you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And so if, uh, you know, if a game master's looking for inspiration for, for adventures or campaigns, this is like a perfect one to go in and yeah. just pick almost any element yeah. of a, a, any mini story arc within there could be... Yeah. Uh, an adventure or a hook at least yeah because it's got the love triangle it's got the master student relationship it has the escort company it has the you know the bad bully in the martial world yeah, it's got it the righteous everything. hero it's got it, it's got a lot of things um you know so and, and i'm sure there's things i didn't mention um one of the things that's in it is the the martial arts of the bad guy and the martial arts of the hero and he has this technique called Shadowless Claw, which it's a little bit unclear exactly what it is, but it seems to be this thing where he he claws you while he's lifting you up into the air and he throws you and then you you land and get hurt. It's But the movie doesn't really get explicit about how she gets injured from that technique exactly. You just know that her waist, somewhere in her side, that she's hurt. And so she develops this, I, I, I think it's a flying tiger style is what she calls it. I don't know if I have the name right, but she, she devises a counter which is something that you see in a lot of martial arts movies where you some big bad guy who has some technique and then the hero has to go into the woods and train and figure out the solution. And so that's she does this. And this is a really great example of it because they kind of they just kind of lay out exactly why these techniques are polar opposites. And so she has a sort of a counter that enables her to eventually overcome him when they're uh, when they're having their final showdown so you know and this is something that we thought about with our game where we made signature abilities and counters not only did we want to have counters in the game to go against some of the signature abilities but we want people to 
get it get into the idea of making their own techniques their own abilities in the game you know in the way that that lady hermit made a a, a technique in the movie does that make sense what i'm saying yeah for sure i mean we do you know directly say that in the rules i think in a couple of different places encouraging the game master and the players to to kind of come up with their own stuff i think that there's kind of two points that i feel are important to make and they're actually sort of kind of one and the same so to speak one is that this is a good illustration of how sometimes there can be you know what is considered to be the most powerful move or martial arts style and eventually somebody's going to come up with a way to you know uh well to counter it it's just kind of like a, f a feature of the genre i think whether you're talking about books or um or the movies there's always something to counter the most powerful thing and we me and you talked about this a lot when we were uh putting together the section for the game masters because there's an aspect to the game that i we intentionally put in there which is there are definitely and you know we talked about this i know in a previous podcast so i won't go on to it go on too much but there's definitely the possibility to create overpowered combinations of yeah. weapons and moves or maybe you know, maybe stats or whatever that would make a character really, really, really strong. Or it could be that the characters in your game encounter an enemy who has that combination of really powerful things. Just because that happens doesn't mean you have to be like, well, that's it for this game. Let's roll new characters. You don't, you don't need to give up because the whole concept of coming up with this special move or suite of moves to counter another is really a genre trope. And, I, and we kind of wanted that to be in the game. Yeah, and it's something that's it's it's a how can I put it? It's not like a rule itself, but it's like a a concept that that you're supposed to use. So, you know, obviously there's you know there's guidelines for creating new techniques, but this is something that has to happen kind of organically in a campaign where you know we don't know when you're going to encounter Black Claw Demon in your game and when a situation like Lady Hermit is going to arise. But when it does, that's when this would start to ideally start to happen um and and so you know we, we offer advice on how to manage it um and and again that's one of the things that kind of a, I, and there's different points of view on this but i've always taken the view and i think you do too that you can't really properly do a genre like this if you don't have these super powerful abilities because it, it's just so baked into the genre. It's like you, it does, it does, it does, it, it, it would, it, if you flatten all of the abilities out, it, you, you would lose that. So, um, so having yeah. this evolving landscape of a martial world is what makes sense here. Um, and, 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 and again, the way that the movie is structured is that a lot of it is, is her recovering and developing this technique as some of the drama between her and her student and, the Lolier character is uh, is unfolding, and uh, I do. I we don't normally do this quite as much, but I kind of wanted to talk about specific characters here. Like obviously, there's Lady Hermit, who's the Cheng Pei Pei character, and she's kind of you know just sort of a noble, righteous hero. Um, but she's paired with uh, Lu Shen, who's played by Lolier, and and he's just kind of a basic good guy. I would say. Would you say that there's anything additional to him that needs mentioning? No, he, he's just, yeah, he, This I think this, in terms of the righteousness of the main characters, this one is one of the most, oh. I, the word that comes to mind is orthodox, I don't think that's the right word, but it, they definitely are good guys. They don't have, 
you know, hidden evil motives that sometimes comes up with these kind of guys. And I just want to say, I got his name wrong. That's his name from the other movie. His name in this one is Cheng Chun. Um, so, okay. so forgive me, but I, I, uh, I have both of the, the, the actor tables uh, side by side, and I, I looked at the wrong one. Um, so, uh, but the other character that I wanted to, to, to get into is, is the, the, the Shih Tzu character, the um, uh, Chui Ping. Because she's kind of an interesting individual. Like, she's if if both the Lolie character and the Cheng Pei Pei characters are these righteous figures, Chui Ping is righteous, but she I don't know what. Before I even say anything, what was your take on her? How how how, how was your reaction? I mean, I kind of I, I found her a little bit annoying, but at the same time, I liked her, and I think that she is the typical i was about to say stereotypical but i'll just go with typical the typical young up-and-coming martial artist who's inexperienced and kind of ignorant but thinks they know everything and that's how she came across to me and i thought i felt she did like a perfect job of that i think the, i think the actress did a great job um and i think i think that your reaction is the reaction you're supposed to have to her but i also think that she's a little bit more sinister on second and third viewing when you see the movie. Um, really? Yeah. I, I think, I think, I think there's a lot of stuff going on with, and, and maybe I'm just reading into it. Cause you know, when you see a movie a bunch of times, you start <laughs> developing your own theories. But yeah. my, my theory is, is that, uh, you know, is that Tui Ping is a potential new black claw demon. And the reason for that is there are a couple of scenes where you, you see lady hermit react to her, either being aggressive or dismissive of treating animals cruelty cruelly do you know what i mean there's the the scene with the horse right where oh. where he says where where um uh cheng chun br- brings his horse to her and and he says that she can borrow it for her journey to it was like Baijiang town or something and he says just you know you can borrow him as long as you don't whip him and then she says huh what's the big deal and then there's this really eerie music that gets played and you see the expression on Lady Hermit's face. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, it's, 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 the music is remarkably informative, I think. And then, huh. and then there's another scene where, uh, Tui Ping is trying to make Lady Hermit her, her instructor. And she impresses her by leaping through the trees and catching two sparrows in her, in her fists and, and releasing them. Right. And, and you hear like that sour note again. And, and Lady Hermit kind of humps and walks away. And so, I don't know, I feel... And then you see Tui Ping's reaction to, to when, when she thinks that Lady Hermit and Chang Chun are, you know... And we don't know, maybe they did sleep together. We don't really know, you know, whether her jealousy is grounded or not, actually. Um, but, but her reaction is very violent. It's... it's uh, and I'll have, I'll have to go back and, and review those those scenes because I never really thought about that. I feel like she's, I, I, I will take that into consideration when I watch it next time. Um, but that said, I feel like she's supposed to be the hot headed apprentice. And I think they never, I think it's intentional that they never really resolve her. I mean, you know, basically what happens is she gets, she loses her temper storms the bad guy's fortress and then that's basically the end so you don't really ever know what happens to her right so i think it's very well possible that she could go down the wrong path 
Well, I don't think she does. I think Lady Hermit saves her by leaving her sword as the wedding gift. I think that's the gesture that would prevent her from going off the rails. Do you know what I mean? All right. Okay. Uh, so, Fair enough. you know, again, it's 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 more fan theory territory. But <laughs> but but I so the ending of the movie is like you say, she storms the thing and then they have to go chasing after her. And Lady Hermit, after she kills Black Claw Demon, is wounded on the ground. And then she says, oh, wait, I think I hear somebody over there. And then while they're going to, to, to investigate, she stabs her sword through a little message she's written in blood that says, my sword is a wedding gift. And when Tui Ping comes back, she vows to go find Lady Hermit wherever she is, no matter how long it takes. And Chang Chun just has his head down. And so it's kind of one of these endings where nobody really seems to get what they want because obviously Lady Hermit is in love with Chang Chun, but she is willing to go away so that he can be together with Chief Tui Ping. But then Tui Ping decides that she's going to try to continue to be Lady Hermit's student after that gesture. And presumably neither of them are going to end up with Chang Chun. So, um, but, but I don't know. It was, it was an interesting ending, I thought. I thought that the... I like the... And again, I don't know how it sounds in Chinese, but my sword is a wedding gift was always kind of a nice line, I thought. Um, I Like, I'd have to... That part didn't jump out to me necessarily in Chinese. I'd have to go back and check. I I didn't notice there being a lot of, uh, you know, inconsistencies in the translation like there are in a lot of movies. So yeah. it didn't particularly jump out at me. That said... So and I'll get into this in a little bit in um in uh when we talk about web of death but I just think there's a there's something about watching it in Chinese that I think is different than English and you know what I actually used to think this back when I didn't speak Chinese and in a, basically it just it sounds better in Chinese I think it it's just you know Chinese is a different language and the way that they they express themselves the tone of voice and different things like that they come across, it just sounds more, it sounds better, I think. I, maybe it's probably like that with most languages, I imagine. Well, I think also you get, you, you, you get something truer to what the, what the emotion is maybe supposed to be in the voice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but, uh, I mean, like, I have to, instance, I, I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, just the, what you're talking about, her like going, hmm, and like this or that, that's just so, like, I can't tell you how, typical Chinese that is and it just it comes across actually sounding I'm specifically talking about um Cui Ping and her like kind of sort of stuck up nature that's just really st probably stereotypical young Chinese girl okay. or young person I mean older people too but it's just to me that comes across as just how the typical Chinese girl would act well and I think um uh that the that you know the benefit of the dubs for me as I get older is not having to read as much while I'm watching. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that, 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 cause that does make you drowsy. I was talking about this with Dion the other day. I get, I get tired when I watch subtitle movies faster than if I'm watching a dub, but there's, we'll talk about the downsides cause I know web of death certainly has plenty. <laughs> okay. um, but before we move on from lady hermit, obvious thing here, the game that we're making is uh, a dark Wuxia RPG. And we decided to do Lady Hermit because Jeremy was watching it for his own reasons. And we thought it might be interesting to have as part of a discussion. But there is the question of whether Lady Hermit is even dark. Because it's kind of, it's not really, it doesn't come off as a dark movie. But we were having a discussion before about whether it could be thought of as dark. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. 
I mean, I think thematically it's probably not, even though it doesn't have a you know happy ending, it doesn't have a tragic ending, and there's not any particularly sort of like um, you know horrific or depressing themes in it. So if, if I was gonna say either dark or not, I'd probably lean on not. But it has so many things that you know our game was inspired by that I think it's a great point of reference yeah. for sure. Yeah, so we, we I don't think we include this in our list of movies cause, because we didn't consider it dark. But it's definitely a movie that, you know, is worth seeing. It's And, and, it, and, it, ha, and it had an influence on the game, even if we're not specifically talking about it in the, in the rule book. Um, but the next movie definitely, at least for me, had an influence. Uh, maybe not as much for you. But that movie is Web of Death. And that's a Choi Yuen movie uh, from 1976. It also stars Lolier, except this time he's playing a villain, and and this is when he's playing Liu Shen. Uh, you know, this is a you know, uh, is his character's correctly named Liu Shen in this one. It stars uh, Yu Hua and Ching Li, and it stars Wang Xia, the guy who played Black Claw Demon, as the Five Venom Clan chief, where he's actually kind of a good guy, not a bad guy. You know, even though he's the leader of an evil, unorthodox clan. Um, so. Uh, First, I just want to know your reaction to this movie because I don't—I don't know if I've ever talked about it with you, and I don't know if you, it was this your first time seeing it or was this, you know, a, yeah, a rewatch. No, it was the first time, and so I have like I have mixed feelings about it. Mm-hmm. I overall really liked it. I really liked the um, since so again, spoilers here, but presumably people listening have watched it or should before listening to this but it does it definitely has a tragic ending and i really i liked the tragic ending sometimes i'm not like opposed to tra- tragic stuff i i really like that kind of thing but sometimes it comes across as being like it's like i'm being beaten over the head with like a, a depressing like stick like yeah. you will be depressed by yeah. watching this movie and i'm yeah. kind of like but this didn't feel like that to me it felt really just like poetic and like just it was handled great i personally think what i really didn't like was the dub <laughs> which you kind of <laughs> talked about a little bit yeah. casually earlier just it re- it almost ruined the movie for me because i can like i there and there were even specific parts where i i heard what they were saying and i was like i know that that's not what they're saying yeah, but i yeah. can't i couldn't find it in chinese like there was no chinese subtitles and i was like what were they really saying um and some some of the things even to me almost didn't make sense like for instance you're introduced to the sect and there's like the spider or there's the, there's a spider i forget what they call it like the spider king and then there's like the snake king and the centipede king or whatever they called them or chief probably they probably call him yeah. chief and it's obviously the five venoms but then the sect is called the spider sect and i was thinking why is that and then i would just look at the title in chinese and if you look at other um subversions or whatever they do call it the five venom sect that was just one little example where i was kind of like obviously there's something lost in translation here and then on top of that the tone of voice and whatever and i I don't know if you want to go into more detail about that now but it just the it just didn't match for me the 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 voices coming out of the the subtitles right the dubbing it just did not match with what i was seeing and i almost kind of wish i could have just turned it off. i guess i could have turned the volume off and watched it just with (laughs) subtitles but that would have probably been a little excessive and you still you need the sound for the movie to still have an effect. Yeah, too. the music so, and everything. But, yeah, the the subs are a lot better than the dubs. I have it on Blu-ray and I have it on DVD. And the 
the subs are just way better. Like, yeah, I and, really and I, wish I'd had time to. I, I almost consider like when we decided to do this, um, I was really considering buying it mm-hmm. on Blu-ray or DVD. I forget which which. So the Blu-ray is not that expensive for this one. I think. I think it's still out. Um, I just was. I didn't think I would be able to get it in time, like have it shipped and then watch it. Yeah. So I, in the end, I didn't. Um, I think the dub has a really huge effect on this movie. It's 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 one of there's like a few different crews of dub voices that you hear when you watch a lot of these, and this is one of the crews that is just there's I, the way I identify them is there's a guy who reminds me of Corey Feldman on the team, and whenever I hear his voice, I'm just like, oh, I can't tell if that person's supposed to be like an adult or a child or what. Like there's just something about that voice that is. And, and it's so in this movie, he I think he played a number of characters, but the big one that he played was the leader of that escort company that decides. Yeah. To, yeah. 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 So it's a grating voice. And there's a lot of that. There's also a really bad scene where in the subversion, the sect leader goes to meditate and like recite a sutra or something like it all. You can hear what he's saying and it sounds fine. In the dub version, they have him say the Lord's Prayer, but not only is it the Lord's <laughs> Prayer, but it's like a butchered version of the Lord's Prayer that meanders into really just flat territory. So, um, you know, yeah, the, the dub has problems. Again, I think it's the kind of dub, though. There's some people who like the bad dubs, right? Like there are definitely there's an audience for that because it produces a new product in a way like yeah. it it produces something new when you yeah. have this movie that's dubbed incorrectly or in a weird way um so i think people who like that will enjoy the dub but if you really kind of want to know if you want to encounter the movie more directly you probably want to see the subversion um yeah and so the film it's basically they, they kind of take like the first the first book of heaven sword dragon saber and mix it up with this weird uh five venom clan that has this spider weapon that's a it's like a living spider inside of a kind of lantern type thing that somehow you can control and it just it, it it's a little bit unclear exactly what it is but i think it's supposed to be like electrifying spider webs that it shoots out and a number of other abilities and you can use it to dominate the martial world the five venom clan has it but the current leader is like a wise sort of cautious uh, chief who decides to to abide by the rulings of the ancestors and not use the weapon while his sub chiefs are all trying to get him to use the weapon for an upcoming duel or upcoming swords swordsman competition uh, that's going to happen on Wudang Mountain and so that there's this whole plot to unseat him led by the Lu Shen character who needs to get the spider in order to to take control of the sect and then dominate the martial world. And there's also a story between a swordsman from Wu Dang and the daughter of the, of the clan leader uh, of the, of the five venom clan uh, who fall in love and are sort of like star crossed lovers. And it's basically Hong Su Su and uh, Wu Ji's father from heaven sword dragon saber. I mean, it, they, they pretty much ensure that that story doesn't happen where they go with this, but that's the story that they're kind of retelling in an odd way. Um, and it kind of, it, to, it also has some echoes, just echoes of um, Smiling Proud Wanderer as well. And then also yeah. uh, the ending is also very, reminded me a lot of Smiling Proud Wanderer, not necessarily a specific scene, but you have this situation where you have the person from the supposedly evil sect 
who is being essentially bullied by the hypocritical leaders of the righteous sects and sort of like um, revealing the true nature of how they act, I guess yeah. you could say. No, I there think... was one other thing I forgot to mention about, and I wouldn't necessarily put this on the on a on the side of something that I didn't like, but it was kind of like made me roll my eyes a little bit. They really overused the whole like two characters will reveal very important secret plot points while standing next to an open window that someone just happens to walk by and hear them. And that... I was like, See... I get it, I get it, but it was just so heavy-handed that I was like. Are you really gonna reveal something that important when anybody could just walk by and hear? See, I now I have a totally different reaction to that because to me that looks like a it's like very stage show where it's like you see the, yeah, the two yeah. actors on the stage and like the villain in the background spying, but it's so over the top that I I kind of liked it. Do you know what I mean? I, I yeah, I, I didn't not like it. I was just looking at it and thinking like, man, you could at least lower your voice because that's like the so it's like the sub chiefs not the sub chiefs it's the the clan leader's wife who's spying on him and the daughter. But the clan leader's wife is like having an affair with the, um, who, who, what, do you remember what sect, uh, Lolier's character? He's snake, I'm pretty sure. He was snake. So the snake chief, you know, she's having an affair with the snake chief, which is a pretty steamy affair by the standards of the 1976 Wuxia film. And, uh, and, and so she's kind of this like sneaky, devious, you know, character. So it kind of, you know, but again, it's, it, when it's done in a movie like this, where you have all the the sound stages and stuff, I, I do know what you're talking about. Where it's, you know, it, it, you wouldn't see it done in like a modern movie where they're filming in the outdoors. You know what I mean? There'd yeah. be like there'd be a couple of scenes connecting those two pieces of information together, rather than yeah. having. Yeah, well, remember it also happened where the the sister um, overheard the spider sect girl and the Wudang disciple's brother talking. That's how she found out that the girl was the one that injured him, but she just was listening at the window. Yeah, yeah, so there's that. Yeah, yeah, again <laughs> later, that's true. Yeah. So, and instant, I do have to point out that the you mentioned the steamy affair. I think they, this was way better than Bride with White Hair love scene <laughs> 20 years later, but that's just my opinion. Well, I, I no, no, I think, I again, I think, just to revisit that, I think you're right because I think in the seventies, like I don't have you seen Intimate Confessions of a Chinese Courtesan? No. I'd be interested in your thoughts. We should do that movie at some point because sure, yeah. I'd be interested in your thoughts. But also that has obviously by the title it has some more, you know, steamy moments. And I think that handles it much better than the the Bride with Hair. And again, I think that's just kind of chalked up to the nineties had a particular way of conveying this yeah. stuff that is a little bit odd today. Um you know, whereas this was more like he's kind of standing without his shirt on or something, and she, you know, it, it wasn't anything big, but it, but it felt more like a natural interaction between two humans. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, anyways, there's also other things that are in this movie that are, you know, like genre tropes, like the the woman dressing as the is a beggar. Do you know what I mean? She's kind of doing like a Huang Rong type thing, and the then the, you know, and then, you know the the scene where she shows up at the pavilion by the lake dressed as a woman. And there's a whole sort of, you know, exchange. Um, so there's it also a, has the, uh, well, I guess it's not necessarily sworn brotherhood, but it's, uh, the, we'll see. This is another thing that confused me because of the, the dubbing, the, the lead disciple from Wudang 
and he he refers to his what's essentially his like martial arts junior sister. He just calls her sister. Yeah, sister. And I was confused at first, wondering, wait a second, does that mean that they're actually brother and sister, which they're not? Obviously, it becomes clear pretty quickly. Yeah. But at first, I was a little bit confused by that. But that's another another genre trope is having these disciple relationships. Yeah. And I think the brother, not the brother, but like the other, the male disciple who gets crippled, I'm pretty sure he was supposed to be his actual brother as well, based on the way that they told his backstory. Um, could, which, it could be. Um, I'd have to, I wish I had the Chinese subtitles, because if he refers to him as, as, I mean, if he refers to him as Shirdi as opposed to Didi, then it would be different. But I remember what you're talking about, him carrying him up. Yeah. And, and, and again, that a lot of that stuff was taken from Heaven Sword Dragon Saber as well, like with the, the whole massacre at the escort company and him being crippled and all that stuff. Um, and and I think the I think the Abbess lady who cuts off her own arm is basically supposed to be like Abbess Michu, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, but anyways, it's 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 a... How would you describe this movie to people that haven't seen it? Like, what would be... If you were trying to sell it to somebody, what would be your your marketing uh, elevator pitch? Well, that's a that's actually a hard question, and I don't know if I can answer it right off the top of my head because it's so it's so weird, not in a bad way, but in just a like unique and kind of bizarre way. And it's a it has so many of the typical Usha tropes, like that you just mentioned, and you know it has the escort agency, and then the botched escort job, and then the you know, betrayers and then the hypocritical sect leader and all these different things. So on, on the one hand, it's a super typical um, Usha flick. But on the other hand, Spider and the and all that stuff puts it on a totally different level, especially the opening scene when it, or if, I can't remember if it's the opening scene or one of the opening scenes when you get the view of the whole interior of the, of the five venom sect or spider sect, whatever version you're watching. And there's like a giant spider on the floor and like all these weird, like yeah. passages opening up and whatnot. So yeah, I don't know how I would pitch it. Do you yeah. have a, how would I, you do? I, I mean, the way I, 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 I've gone back and forth on how to talk about it. I, there's a, I, I usually call this Gonzo. Usha. That's how I describe it to people. Yeah, that and, could work. Yeah. yeah. And so like, there's a few movies that fall into that. Buddha's palm would be one. Um, you know, there, there are a number of other movies that are, that are, you know, similar. Fl- F- Holy Flame of the Martial World is, is the one that I personally, that's like my favorite Gonzo Wuxia film. But this is, a, this is like dark Gonzo Wuxia. And so it's, it's, you, I don't think there's really that many other movies that you'll see that, that look and feel the way this one does. And it's a Choi Yuen movie, so it's shot in the Choi Yuen style. And that adds a level of interest and and coolness to it um but i think the uh you know the 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 thing about the spider that is probably relevant to righteous blood ruthless blade is number one which we've already talked about so we don't really need to get into is the idea of these supreme martial weapons the top 10 weapons but we also have a figure in the game called uh parrot god you if i if i'm remembering the name correct yeah and there's a, it's a cult that's centered on this parrot who they believe is a deity and may well be a deity. And, and the way that we, the way that we describe it in the game, it sort of straddles that line of, you know, where is the magic? Where is the reality? And how far are we bending the boundaries of Wuxia with this? And I feel like the spider is the thing that really bends the boundaries of Wuxia in this movie. 
Um, and yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, without getting, we'll get into it later. But I actually think that the that this spider weapon or creature, whatever you want to call it, comes across as being a much better top ten weapon than the peacock dart as portrayed in the movie Magic Blade, which we talked yeah. about, I think, the last episode. Because in Magic Blade, it was like you take the the feather or whatever it is off and you throw it down and then there's like some explosions yeah. and then like people are dead kind of but I was never particularly visually impressed by it because it yeah. was but this one to me at least on screen came across way more kind of scary and horrified yeah. it was like it really destroys whoever they're using it against like without question and something about having a spider being involved gets at something deep inside you that you know, it's creepy you know and so yeah so I, I, I think that um, I I I have my suspicion, and I don't know if this is true, I'm not based on anything. I've always felt this was like Choyuan sort of reconfiguring the peacock dart. Do you know what I mean? It just ha- it seems like it's 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 at least aware of the peacock dart. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, def- there's definitely a lot of similarities for sure. It's like a it's an area effect, you know, weapon that you can use on multiple people. Um, if I, I have to pull up the list, it, my actual so it, we have a list of top ten weapons in the game, and I think we both contributed pretty much equally to it, if I remember correctly. And um, the one that uh, I don't, you know, I don't remember what, who created it, you or me, but we have one that's a, an idol that causes it to fall, like probably magical rain that kills everybody. Is that the around death, it. death rain effigy? Is yeah, that... the death rain effigy. That for me, I think was I was thinking peacock dart. Okay. Uh, with that weapon, and this one comes... It's not exactly the same, but it's essentially the same yeah. type of thing, something you could use to kill a large group of people instantly. Yeah, and so it's a, it, it's a very interesting weapon, but um, but it raises all kinds of questions. Like, it's a spider. It's a live spider. And so... And, and they establish at the beginning of the movie that ages... We don't know how many years ago, but presumably at least a generation ago, somebody who led this sect went on a on a murder spree with the spider and it was taken away from him effectively. And, and then they, and then from then on, they vowed to only use it in like an emergency situation. So if it's a, if it's, it's like basically a tarantula, how is this thing still alive? You know, what to the, to like, does the, it's hidden away in a, in a crypt somewhere, but it's a, a living spider. So, does somebody actually have to go in there and feed this thing? Like, what's the... It just yeah. raised all kinds of questions in my mind. And I was interested in... And, oh, go ahead. So when I was... So this was one, unlike uh, Lady Hermit, that I couldn't watch in one sitting. And in fact, I think I watched it over maybe three nights mm. and, you know, 10 minutes here. And then while putting kids to bed, put 10 minutes there. Mm. I feel like there was at least a couple parts where they didn't portray it with the actual living... Tarantula, or or am I misremembering? Well, sometimes he's just holding the device and using it, but you but the tarantula is still in there. You assume, right? Like that's right. But I feel like at least one time when it opened up, the way that it was, the like it looked like a like a plastic spider or something, as opposed to there were some scenes where it was an actual living. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I think that was just because just for convenience. I I don't think it was. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, like there were certain scenes where they used a live spider, and certain scenes where it was just like a. A fake okay, spider. So, uh, so, so when I was when I was watching it, my initial assumption for the first majority of the movie was I was thinking that they just used 
a live spider for the coolness effect and that it was actually supposed to be like some sort of device. Okay. But that, that was okay. my assumption. But then the final scene debunks that because it's obviously like a real, supposed to be a real living spider, whether it's magical or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. I, if I was going to take a guess, I would say that it's supposed to be magical, like a, yeah. you know, like a, uh, some sort of spirit yeah. creature that they trapped and then somehow control. They never, they never establish how it's controlled. They just kind of yeah. like open it up and then it kind of jumps out and does its thing. But they, they make it seem like they can control it with relative accuracy. I so. think they might have been muttering something, but I can't remember. I think they might have been actually saying something when they used it. But I oh, like commands of some yeah, sort, or like a sutra or something to that effect. I don't remember the because I watched the dub version for this because I wanted to get the experience you got. But I when I've seen it with the subtitles, I feel like I hear them mumbling. But I I'd have to watch it again with the subs on to. To be sure. I think I'm definitely going to have to go back to uh, watch this with uh, subtitles and uh, Chinese because I, I kind of want to experience it the way it's intended to be experienced. Um, well, in any case, I, I think this is a good um, this is a good thing to look at when you're trying to decide or when when you're considering if you're a GM, considering how you want to handle the magic stuff, because we do have a couple things which we in the game, which we specifically list as being magical in nature yeah. um i think if a, a gm wanted to he could he or she could tweak that to make it non-magical pretty easily but but those are things that go beyond the realm of what seems possible to explain with real life physics and yeah. i think the spider is like that i don't see how you could like how you could justify a real life spider being able to do that i mean you probably could you probably could Here, here's how you would do it you would say this is a spider you know how like they have the thing, what is it, the goo vessel, where they have all the different venomous creatures fight it out until one remains and is like the most potent? You maybe somebody did something like that with spiders, like bred them until they had this really long lived lethal spider. Dude, <laughs> I mean it's it's definitely strains credulity, but it's 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 the kind of credulity that you do encounter in wuxia stories sometimes. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, where sure. something is supposed to still be within the natural world, but is you know really pushing the boundaries a lot. Um, so yeah, I suppose you could do that. Like for and you know you could do the same in our game. So I'm pretty sure Death Rain Effigy we do have listed as magical, and if I remember correctly, it says like dark clouds form overhead, and then a deadly rain falls that kills everybody. So maybe it like has like a like a like a a steam that goes up that contains poison or something like that. Yeah, my 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 go-to explanation for devices like that is this device is ingeniously designed. And that's what I say for any device that I want to have like a magical effect, but assume that there's some sort of mechanical foundation for it. And then, yeah. that, and then I just hand wave any, uh, you know, yeah, anything yeah. else. Um, that works. On the other hand, it, on the other hand, I think that it also goes to show that having stuff that is magical isn't necessarily out of place in Usha and it can fit in yeah. pretty easily. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, I think, and again, we uh, I don't want to mislead people. In the Righteous Blood game, we do lean more on like a mundane, natural type of setting that's sort of more grounded. But there are moments in the book where we get into more magical territory. And just from a gaming standpoint, the more you open up the possibility of magic, the easier it is to sort of 
you know, manage a campaign. And, you know, so, so I think, you know, that there it's, it's, it's ultimately up to the GM. It's up to the group. Uh, but if, if you allow hopping vampires in your game, then you, you know, you, you open up more doors for adventure. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're, and I feel like in, I feel like in Wuxia, I mentioned, I think I mentioned three kingdoms before, but I'll never forget the sorcerer character in three kingdoms was described as, uh, I'm, I hope I'm not sticking my foot in my mouth by, by misremembering it, but I'm pretty sure he was described as being able to summon and move storms with lightning and stuff. And it was clearly magical. But f- other than that, Three Kingdoms is, for the most part, all grounded in reality. But I feel like that's kind of how Wuxia, and I'm not saying that Three Kingdoms is Wuxia, but basically I've, I'm trying to say that I feel like throwing those elements in is completely valid. And I feel like in almost any Wuxia story, you could expect some Taoist priest to come up and talk about, oh, there's a there's a demon in this temple I have to get rid of. And nobody would, would be like, what demons? That's impossible. Like, it's the opposite. In ancient yeah. China, people would all believe in that kind of stuff and expect it to be real. Now, whether you think it was real, you know, from the modern perspective, that's a different story. But to have these kind of magical things, sorcerers or spirit creatures or something, people in ancient China wouldn't be shocked just fundamentally by their existence, I don't think. And so I think that having that flavor here and there is fine. Like, for example, you mentioned the hopping vampire, or, you know, however you want to translate it. If you had one of those creatures show up in your wuxia, in your normally grounded in reality wuxia campaign, it would be freaky and scary, yeah. but it wouldn't be like having like an astronaut pop out of yeah. The, yeah. the door and be like, I'm a time traveler from the future. Yeah. That, that would kind of break the genre. Well, and also you can always revert to a mundane explanation and still have the hopping vampire adventure too, if you want to. So there's, a, sure, there's always that. Like a Scooby-Doo. Wuxia. Yeah, yeah. Well, but there is a lot of that in Wuxia. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of, yeah. There's a lot of characters who show up and you think they're like a zombie or something, and then it turns out there's some other explanation for it. So, sure, sure. Um, so I, I think I think that that could work too. Um, but yeah, I was thinking today about you know I wanted to do like a like a train from Busan type adventure, you know, with with, with the Wuxia mix up, and which I've done before, but I wanted to really kind of fully commit to the zombie thing, and uh, you know it. it it opens up possibilities when you kind of mix and match like that. So, but, but again, in this movie, I think this is, it's not quite at that level. This is more just, there's one item that really breaks the boundaries of this is clearly not, this is not a mundane item. This is something that has some kind of potency to it. That is apparently magical. Um, but it still works as a wuxia film. Uh, so, you know, uh, but it does, and it, and also the magic kind of is dark. It's a very ominous, evil device. It's not, you know, you you may it unnerves you when you see them using it, and it feels so powerful that you, you know, that even like Wudong and you know all uh, uh, and Shaolin and all these other you know big sects are completely helpless against it. Um, so. Uh, you know, you know, getting past the spider. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, which we've brushed on before, but I really wanted to kind of dive more deeply into it, is this notion of using dungeons in Wuxia. And again, I, I don't want to mislead people. Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades is not like a dungeon crawl type game, but just the idea of 
allowing for their presence in a in a Wuxia campaign. I find a lot of people are very resistant to that idea. Um, but when you see a movie like this, or you you know you, you see other examples of it in books and in movies, you know it seems really fitting to me that you would be able to bring you know some le- amount of dungeon crawl into a Wuxia campaign. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree. I guess my only sort of like devil's advocate or maybe caveat would be that I think perhaps one of the reasons why people are so resistant to it is because when you say dungeon, they're instantly going to think Dungeons and Dragons and then they're going to default to like, you know, uh, like a graph paper map with yeah. like caverns and all that stuff. And I, that's probably pushing it a bit too far. But I mean, this one had the perfect scene where they're trying to get into they're trying to break into where the spider is located and then there's like a pitfall and there's darts that come out of the wall and different things like that's perfect and i can totally see that in just about any setting where the heroes are trying to enter some you know location for a heist maybe maybe a heist scenario there's definitely going to be you know dungeon i wouldn't call it dungeon crawling but it's definitely dungeon setting for sure well and also when you talk about like the graph paper if you think about it like most fantasy movies that have dungeons, they don't they're not graph paper dungeon crawls either. Graph paper dungeon crawls are kind of a conceit of the D and D genre yeah. in a way. And so yeah. I guess what I'm saying, like I you know, I'm not saying that a dungeon in a Wuxia campaign has to be a graph paper dungeon crawl, but I don't see why it couldn't be. Do you know what I mean? Any sure. or why 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 it should be less less allowable in Wuxia than it's allowable in a fantasy campaign. Is there because it I feel like I I guess the thing that bothers me about it is it feels like we apply different rules to emulating Wuxia than we do to other genres. And I don't know why. Like, it doesn't... It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, I understand why when you watch a Wuxia movie, you don't immediately leap to, oh, this should be like a and d like dungeon crawl. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I understand that. But what I'm saying is if you can... If you can take, like, Conan and make a dungeon crawl out of it, or if you can take... Um, Tolkien and make a dungeon crawl out of it or, uh, you know, you know, any other, you know, big fantasy book, you know, uh, um, you know, what's the, what's the, uh, the anti-Tolkien one? Um, it's on the tip of my tongue and I'm losing it. I am not, I'm not following. I, um, I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, for, I'll, tr- I'll put it in the, in the link in the comments. You'll but, think uh, of it five yeah, minutes. Yeah. Up. I'll think of it five minutes after. Um, but you know, the, but, but, why you know, th- those can be D and D dungeon crawls, but Wuxia can't for some reason. Wuxia has to be relegated to adventures around romance or adventures around, yeah. uh, you know, sex and grudges, which it absolutely should have in it. But why you can't go into D and D territory is what I don't understand. Yeah. Um, well, you know what I think. I think part of it is is I think that, and this is absolutely not scientific in any way this is just my random opinion but i and not to not to come across as sounding like arrogant or something but i think that a lot of the people who are interested in not all of them but some of them okay let let me walk this all back and start over i think that there's a large group of people out there who have heard of usha they kind of know about it they've read about it a little and they've seen a couple movies but they actually don't really know what it's about and they're thinking you know, when they think they think Wuxia, they think, oh, you know, you know, um, you know, flying swordsmen and like dragons and stuff. And, that, and then to them, it just doesn't click how it could be 
dungeon. And, and before, I, I know probably a lot of the people listening to this podcast do not fall into that category because they're likely more interested in, in the genre. But I can guarantee you, there are a lot of people out there who don't really understand Wuxia very well. You know, I do YouTube videos and, and it's not like I get millions of views, yeah. but I do get a lot of views. I get a lot of comments. And there's so many people who, yeah, just just uh, the last video I got, uh, I got a comment, something along the lines of, or no, maybe it was a tweet or something. I was talking about Wuxia and they mentioned like uh, Akira Kurosawa movies or something, samurai stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I'm, you know, that to me just shows that that person doesn't really know what wuxia is. And I think there's still a lot of people who conflate uh, wuxia with samurai stuff. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make is just, I think some of it comes from a lack of vision, a lack of seeing a lot of this content. Because when you see movies like like this one, like uh, Web, of, uh, Web of Death, or even some of Human Lanterns, which we talked about last week, you could correlate to, to dungeon stuff. And uh, Bride with White Hair 2, the yeah. final infiltration scene. There's a lot of stuff that could easily correlate to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and a lot of the Condor Heroes trilogy has stuff like that. You know, there's... Sure. There's, uh, or, you know, Seven Killers, for example, the novel that I translated, that entire premise is an infiltration, not specifically of a dungeon, but it's basically but, that he has, to, he has to have three major skills, if I remember correctly. Strength, to be able to lift the giant door and then dexterity to be able to pick. It was something like seven locks or yep. something. And then I forgot what the other one was. It was speed or something, but yeah. There was, there was, this is totally besides the point, but there was a really gameable scene in that book. I think there was like an end that they, they, they put together really quickly to trick the hero. Yeah, yeah. I, I used that idea for this like transportable end that the bad guys were using. Uh, and it worked wonderfully, wonderfully in the campaign. Um, it was, it was a really cool location. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we include a lot of advice for GMs on coming up with adventures, but honestly, I think you could just pick almost any movie from our list in the book, watch it, and come up with yeah. enough for probably two or three adventures. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, but I will say, I mean, I agree with you. There's a, I think there's, you know, there's varying degrees, obviously, of how exposed people are to it. But I'm really thinking more of people who I know they like Wuxia and they read it and they watch it. But they just seem more adamant that it shouldn't be dungeon oriented. That's strange. Anyway, yeah. Well, I think what it, I think we have like a, I I don't know. I, I I feel like we just treat wuxia differently. I think this the same things are in wuxia that you sometimes see in fantasy literature and fantasy movies, but we almost don't see them. Do you know what I mean? Like inns are more common in wuxia than they are in fantasy, right? <laughs> but yeah. And 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 starting an adventure in the inn is like the stereotypical D&D adventure beginning. Point. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and granted, a D&D inn is not the same as a wuxia inn necessarily, but it's still like, it's a, it, they're really significant venues in wuxia. So, um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I just feel like, I, I feel like there's, a, obviously there are a lot of things that have to be different than a standard role-playing game campaign, especially a standard D&D campaign to do wuxia but there's also a lot of things that you don't have to do differently that that actually you would do in DD that could work in wuxia if you wanted to do them um and again i want to emphasize righteous blood ruthless blades is more focused on character and sect conflict and stuff but just as a general topic i uh you know um it's just something that i've you know i, I think about a lot and i i you know, this is something that's kind of 
always kind of irritated me. Um, uh, yeah, well, of the two, um, the two mo adventure modules that we include, although spoiler alert, it looks like we might be pulling one of them out to offer as a free PDF. I don't know. Yeah, if we're yeah. So talk about that. Well, we probably shouldn't get into it, but we, but, yeah, but one it, of well, one it, of them I'll, might be a PDF. It looks like. Sure. Um, we, either way, the point is, I don't think we have anything in those two that would equate to like a, no. a dungeon crawl kind of thing. But I was thinking about it recently about what kind of content I would want to, to create if we have a chance to make some more content. I think something along those lines would be would be great. Something something inspired by the, you know, Matt, uh, a web of death and bride with white hair two and those kind of like infiltration dungeony trap evading kind of things yeah because we're definitely not i'm definitely not saying you should you should have to do dungeons like you I, i've run a lot of campaigns that don't have dungeons and it works fine it's just that you're you're taking something off the table that could be useful to people if it's not allowable um you know one of my one of the most successful campaigns i ever ran was way back in the day doing standard D D, but with wuxia and basically doing what you're talking about you have sort of a lot of these adventures that involve sect conflict and you know different things going on in the martial world but those often lead to dungeon crawls and to seeking out special items or going on quests into dangerous swamplands to find some reclusive woman who has knowledge of the whereabouts of such and such you know so D, &D type style adventures which are the reason people do them is because they're a fairly reliable format do you know what I mean? Like they, they, they work. You can, you can have a reliable long-term campaign if you abide by that format. There's no reason why you can't do that format with Wuxia is all, all I'm trying to say. Um, so, uh, but yeah, but again, I think uh, not just that uh, the, the layer that ha houses the spider, but also the headquarters of the sect was kind of interesting too. Like, and we don't know exactly how it's laid out because they don't show us all of it. But like all of the different sect leaders enter from a different tunnel yeah. into this central chamber with the spider. And presumably those are fairly extensive networks where they each have their own residence or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. And we get to see the, uh, the, the, the leader of the clan's uh, you know, headquarters because you know, they sort of follow him as he walks back into into his residence and you know he goes over like a pit at like there's like a little pond of acid it looks like with stone right. you know there's all kinds of little things that would yeah. definitely be in a dungeon that uh you know presumably after you know decades after this clan has been wiped out when players go to pill for them they would sure. encounter these and things. there's and like the there's um i vaguely remember when the wudang guy charged in kind of he muscled his way under one of the doors and then there was kind of again i watched this over several sessions so i'm kind of a little bit blurry in terms of what exactly happened. but i got the impression that he kind of went through some sort of like maze of tunnels or yeah. something before finally arriving at her her place which was a unique set aside compound which incidentally has a secret door in the back a secret yeah. passage that they escape from later so yeah you could of that kind. you could very easily convert it into a dungeon and and also the architecture in this is all done for the sake of it looks interesting and cool and fun. It they're not abiding by any sense of realism except for yeah. some you know sense of symmetry. But beyond that, yeah. there's no you know you, you know it, it's very much sort of this is just because it's going to look good this way. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, so so yeah. So uh, there was another topic I know you wanted to talk about, um, 
which is sort of a subtopic here of uh of of uh tropes and things that come up in wuxia and yeah. that's misunderstandings that are yeah. you know it's i mean a... we talk about the we, we touch on some of the the common things about the genre in the book but we don't really go into too much detail and we definitely didn't mention this but it's something that i feel is a real feature of the genre that comes up so often and that's like you said the misunderstanding so obviously the big one um in in this book or sorry this book in this movie is exactly what happened with the girl wounding the brother yeah. you know she she attacked him and wounded him but in her mind she was thinking oh i can just get him back to his master and he'll be fine so she tries to do that but doesn't and then you know her exact motives are called into question and this kind of thing i feel happens all the time and there's a kind of an associated element of it and that's the the i think the tendency of the whoever is the accusatory party saying you know you did this or you didn't do this and it's actually a misunderstanding and so the uh, the person who's being accused says no i didn't do that or i did something else and then the person who is doing the accusing will say no like look at this evidence which is actually wrong or maybe they don't even have evidence they just yeah. have the result you know like this person is dead you were in the room you must have killed him yeah and i feel like there's oftentimes you know and you can take this for whatever however you want there's often a sort of lack of requirement of actual hard evidence for them to believe that this person is guilty usually yeah. it's like i think you probably would would be guilty therefore you are guilty well, yeah, and in this one specifically, it's like, well, this guy is really reputable. There's no reason why we should doubt him. And the guy who's accusing him is the head of Shaolin. So, like, you know, it's it's that kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, which plays into face as well. So I think that this is the kind of stuff where you notice it after you watch or read a lot of Wuxia and, you know, game masters who want to add a little bit more of that authentic flavor could consider how to work this in course it can i know that it could be frustrating for players who are not also familiar with the genre so i think a game master who went too far into the authentic wuxia tropes without you know informing a player who is not familiar with it it could be very frustrating if the player you know is accused of something and then everybody's like we agree he's guilty and he doesn't get a chance to yeah. to, to to say his claim or they don't believe him that might seem frustrating to him when it would actually be i think pretty realistic in the in the setting well another way to do it would be to have uh the players be the ones who are potentially accusing like have because again if you're present you, you know if you're presenting the world as they're seeing it maybe maybe you know in, in a, i mean imagine in a in a dnd adventure if the players walk in on a situation that looks incriminating they're probably going to leap to conclusions so yes. you know and because because one of the things is it's not it's like a lot of times when you really think about the situations, the people doing the accusing are often not being that unreasonable. Like yeah, in this situation, yeah. there was a lot of incriminating details. Like not only was it, did it really look bad for her, but then it's unveiled that, Oh, and she also was the one who was responsible yeah. for the brother being crippled because she attacked yeah. him. And then it's like, well, no, you don't understand the reason I attacked him. And by the time you get there, it's like, yeah. Oh, I'm, I've had it with your excuses. You know, it's, yeah. it, so I think, man, if, if I was, you know, running a campaign right now, which I'm not, I, I would, the, the first thing I would want to do after this podcast is, is go throw my players into one of those situations where they're being presented with, with evidence that seems to, you know, push or, or support one claim. But then the, the, and I know 
you know, this isn't metagaming it, I guess, to some extent, but it would be great to throw the players in that situation and then give them a bunch of evidence that makes them think one thing and then reveal afterward that it's not true and then see how they react to it. And in, our, in Righteous Blood, um, considering we have this grudge mechanic, that would be a great way to, you know, get grudges into the game. If the if the player characters do jump to the conclusions and believe the, incom- let's say, incomplete evidence, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it's definitely, uh, it's, it's definitely something you too, you have to be a little careful of, like the way that I would do it is I think whenever you have a adventure that hinges on that kind of deception, you have to be fair in giving the players a chance yeah, to figure out like, you know, you, some GMs will be tempted to be, well, the adventure hinges on them not knowing that this guy is really innocent. So I'm going to make, you know, so everything that they do early on to figure that out is not going to work for whatever reason. You have to avoid that temptation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which means you have to be willing to sacrifice the adventure or have it go yeah. in a wildly different direction. Um, yeah. And so that's the, o- the only thing I would would add to it is just, you know, do 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 approach it fairly like that. Because I sure, find... Yeah. I, it... Oh, go ahead. Just, I, I totally agree. It has to be. You would have to handle it with care, and it's you. I 100% agree that you have to give the the players a chance to, you know, figure out the mystery or unravel the misunderstanding. And then, I mean, if if I was the GM and I was creating a scenario like that, I think the best thing to do is is you don't plan for them to fail. Yeah. You give failing as an option, but then you have an equally interesting option if they figure out the mystery, yeah. basically. Well, I mean, it's it's a really interesting... See, the thing that's cool about Wuxia is as the players get more powerful, they potentially become like leaders of the martial world themselves and could even end up heading their own sect. And one of the campaigns I had that I thought was really a lot of fun is when the players, and you were in this one, when they formed their own sect, and by the end of the campaign, a lot of what was going on was the politics of managing the sect on a daily basis. And on the one hand, it was kind of hard because it didn't allow for your standard type of adventures. Like they couldn't just pick up and go, you know, go looking for an item randomly or doing certain things. On On the other hand, it was a lot of fun because interesting people could show up to the sect headquarters for you know which is not something that would normally happen if you just have a wandering party going from place to place right because they have a headquarters and they have a purpose people would seek them out from time to time and 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 plots like this were easier to sort of present to the party do you know what i mean um so so i think i think in a wuxia campaign depending on what's going on that could certainly be you know very very feasible um so yeah, is there, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of getting to the end of the podcast now, but is there anything uh, that you wanted to cover that we didn't go over? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. I mean, these two movies have a ton of, of stuff that's great um, background material, great inspiration. So if I was going to pick between the two, I would go with um, Lady Hermit. But that said, uh, in terms of, in ter- I would say Lady Hermit for story, but in terms of content and inspiration for specific little teeny elements to pop in and here and there in an, in an adventure, probably Web of Death. Yeah, yeah, I, I would basically agree. I think Lady Hermit is like the required viewing of, of this. Like, if you, it, it's like it's one of these movies that you kind of have to see if you if you if you are interested in Wuxia. But also, 
Web of Death has a lot of gameable stuff in it. So there's there's the from a gaming perspective, there's definitely and also from just a novelty perspective, you are gonna see other movies like Lady Hermit. You are not gonna see that many other movies like Web of Death. So just for the novelty it's definitely worth checking out. But Lady Hermit is a classic. It is a really good movie. And it tells a very satisfying story, I think. And it does it really well. So, um, so I, you know. Sure. And, you know, incidentally, the misunderstanding thing shows up there as well. Not to contradict what you said earlier yeah. about, because basically in the scene where the apprentice sees, you know, Lady Hermit and Lolia's character, sorry, I forgot what it was, um, kind of in a seemingly intimate moment, I feel that there was they didn't have anything because they didn't have anything going on between them physically because of the conversation they had later where he basic where she basically says I can't have anything like that yeah. until after I get my revenge or whatever it was. Yeah. That's my take on it. And if if that take is correct, then the apprentice's whole like flipping out and everything was all caused because of a misunderstanding. Remember, uh, Lady Hermit like hurt had a splinter or something. And so he went in to like take the splinter out and she looked at them in that exact moment and assumed that he was like kissing her arm or something. Yeah. Anyway, maybe my take is wrong on that, but there you go. No, that's I, 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 I suspect you're right, but I also think that they didn't show that they didn't conclusively tell you for a reason. <laughs> so I think the More don't, fan theories. Huh? Yeah. Well, I don't, th I think this is less fan theory territory because it's it's really quite ambiguous not showing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, true. That's true. yeah. Um, but again, maybe just edited for time. So you know sure. that might have been it. Um, but anyways, yeah. So again, Lady Hermit, Web of Death. They are both available on Prime. Lady Hermit is available with the subs, so you're gonna watch the version that both of us would recommend. If you really want to see Web of Death in its true form, you should probably get the Blu-ray. But you can see it with the dubs on Amazon. Just grade it on a curve. If you do, because the dubs, the dubs are a bit of a doozy on that one. They're definitely there. If I had like, if I made up a list of five movies with the worst dubs, Web of Death would definitely be <laughs> one of them. So sure. incidentally, uh, I saw that movie, The Duel, uh, with Andy yeah. Lau the other night. Yeah. Um, and, and Dion was not happy with those dubs either. Uh, yeah, the, the, I, I remember that because I had that on DVD and I remember the dubs being really bad. Yeah, yeah. The, the dubs were... I kind of I kind of started to warm up to them as the comedy got heavier in the movie because they kind of worked with it. But, you know, it's a subject for another time. But sure, uh, sure. But, and, but, you know, we probably should mention this at the beginning, but Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades, you can get it um, on Amazon or Barnes and Noble dot com pre-order. It's like available in a lot of different places. As of this recording, it's available for pre-order. And then later when it's released, obviously, it'll be available for purchase. And, uh, and I think, what did they say, October was the release date? Looks, uh, it seems to be on track for October from what I can okay. see, but we'll see. And it's got a beautiful cover now. It's got all kinds of, you know, we, you know it's, it's really coming along. So, uh, so you know, check, check it out. And until next time, we will talk to you later. With the laughter comes the rain. With my anger comes a tide of emotion. Killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Are you dead or insane as you stumble through the night, soothing?
Cristo. 